Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, good morning, gang, and welcome to New Southern Garden, of course. I'm your gardening pal, Nathan Wilson, and I'm, as always, as always, very glad that you've decided to join us for this hour of everything gardening. We're going to get growing from the soil up. We don't call in gardening, okay? We don't call the soil dirt. All right, whether you have dry, hard, barren, red, red clay, <laughs> or if you have something nice and fluffy and uh, brown, full of organic matter, it's still soil. All right, the only time that I would recommend for us to call soil dirt, really, dirt is that stuff that you tracked in the house, and your mom said, you better shake your shoes off before you track all that dirt in the house. Okay, so if there's soil on the floor in the kitchen, it's dirt. But if there's soil in a garden bed, it's got to be called soil. So we're going to grow from the soil up today, as always. We're going to talk about a pest. A pesky. Cute. Cute as everything, but very destructive. Sometimes it's the last face, this cute little face, that a plant sees, and that is the rabbit. We're going to talk about Bugs Bunny today, controlling Bugs Bunny. I think that uh, in the past, we've talked about deer pretty extensively, because deer are very troublesome. You know, most deer may be in the 100, 100 to 200 pound. That's a big pest. I mean, that makes an aphid look like child's play. But there are other pests that we can't just spray and eradicate like we can aphids. Rabbits, deer, mammals are a problem in the landscape. And the interesting thing is, is that there's, there's really not a lot of good research that has been done. I would say there's, there's, there is good research, but not a lot of good research when it comes to rabbits and it comes to deer. And mainly that's because, you know, it's easy to watch an aphid. It's easy to watch a beetle and see what it does and its life cycle and how it goes. But these mammals, you know, being related to us, <laughs> they sort of have their own mind. And they can act differently in your landscape than someone else's landscape. And sometimes these deer, they may act completely different on opposite sides of the country, or uh, rather rabbits as well. They may act completely different just up and down the street. Now we know with deer, they're hurdle. So they've got a large group of um, creatures living together. But with many rabbits, they tend to live solitary lives, maybe only associating with each other around mating season. But regardless, they do have 
um, certain characteristics that we do know that we can use to our advantage. So we'll talk about those characteristics and we'll talk about repelling them. We'll talk about other ways to maybe control them, some things you can do logistically in your landscape and in your garden like we've talked about with deer. But I don't think that we've spent time on rabbits before. And if you're in a gated community, maybe you live in a place where deer are not a problem, but rabbits, they can slip through those gated community gates and they can go for your garden plants. So if you've got rabbit problem today, we're going to talk about uh, everything that I have learned and researched uh, to present to you and to hopefully give you some, some good ideas on some things you can try in the landscape that will be very effective at Controlling Bugs Bunny. I think that'll be the title of today's show is Controlling Bugs Bunny. Uh, But if you've missed us last week, well, we're sorry we missed you too. Uh, If you did miss the program, you always know that you can find this show and every episode we've ever had online at NewSouthernGarden.com. Last week, we talked about things you need to be doing to your peonies. We talked about uh, rehabilitating gardenias that may have been affected from this late winter freeze we had. And we've talked about plant names and and the important things to remember when we're calling plants certain names. Uh, Some people get very technical about plant names and they become uh, sort of a Nazi about it. You know, you've got to say it this way. Is it Liriope? Is it Liriope? Is it Liriope? doesn't really matter. You'll find out if you check out last week's show at NewSouthernGarden.com. And of course, you know, we're nearing the end of May. I can't believe it because I guess that means that uh, spring is sort of on the way out and summer. Definitely summer's on the way in. We'll talk about that in a minute. But regardless, uh, that means the end of the month, the last Saturday of this month, we'll be answering your questions. So if you'd like to be a part of this program or if you have something bugging your begonias or pestering your petunias, be sure to check us out online, NewSouthernGarden.com, Facebook and Instagram. You can send us pictures there, tag us in photos. We'd love to also see some good success stories. We don't have to just hear about the bad days. Tell us about some of the good things that are going on in your landscape. Talking about bad days, I don't know, folks, but it does appear, it does seem, it does seem like it's been quite dry. And I'm dry myself because we haven't had rain in forever. It's been so hot that I'm sweating from three days ago (laughs) still. And the weather seems to be a bit spotty. If we're getting any kind of showers, it's been kind of localized. It doesn't seem like we've had a good watering of northeast Georgia in one go. It seems like we have just been getting spot showers here and there, if anything. My vegetable garden is showing it. You know, I talked about some updates on my vegetable garden last week. I will just say that it is very dry this week. It's very dry this week. And we've planted some seed that I mentioned a few weeks ago. And they're sporadically popping up. I'm afraid that some of those seed are just not going to make it. We haven't had enough rain. I finally resorted to irrigating my vegetable garden so that I can encourage some watermelon seeds and corn seeds and bean seeds to pop up. But alas, I don't know. We shall see what will happen maybe this week. So hopefully we will have some some nice rainy days uh, ahead. It's supposed to be April showers bring May flowers, but 
I don't know. It would be great to have a May shower, that's for sure. So anyhow, definitely check us out online at NewSouthernGarden.com, and you can leave your questions there. You can send us a picture on Facebook and, Inst- Facebook and Instagram, and we'll be glad to uh, make have you be a part of our show next week. That would be the end of the month. So if you don't think... If you don't think that you can send a question to us, I think you're wrong. All you have to do is visit us and listen. Eden Rose says, just send us a question and be sure to give it a go. <laughs> give it a go. Give it a go. That's my Eden Rose button. Uh, I don't know how she picked that up. Last week I shared with you that she picked up this give it a go. It must have been something on one of those kids' programs she watches. Uh, maybe her mom had showed it to her. But regardless... You can do anything in gardening if you just put your mind to it and give it a go. All right, so there's a brief introduction in today's program. So let's jump right in into the meat and potatoes, if you will, of today's show, which again is controlling bugs, Bunny. I'm going to give you some methods for rabbit-resistant gardening. Now, like with our shows on deer-resistant gardening, I've got to give you a disclaimer that, as with the deer... Rabbits are like teenagers. If they are hungry enough, they will eat about anything. We've got to accept that we have this problem. We have this problem of of rabbits in our garden. Now, Mr. McGregor did too, right? He had a rabbit problem. But rabbits are foragers. We're going to get into that later. Rabbits are foragers, so they're always on the lookout for something to eat. They eat a lot of leaves, actually, a lot of grass, clover, things like that. But there are plenty of landscape plants that they love, like hostas and hydrangeas. Deer love those, too. They must be quite tasty. I have to admit, I've never chewed, chowed down, chowed down on a hosta or a hydrangea, but deer love them. Rabbits love them. And you see, the main issue here is that natural habitats are being lost to us building roads and building homes and subdivisions, other kinds of buildings. So as that natural habitat's lost, the rabbits, like with deer, they tend to spend more time in areas uh, that are populated by humans now. In one, you could look at it one way, in that we are now living where rabbits and deer and, and other mammals, wildlife, used to live. So we're sort of in their backyard, even though it seems like they are in our backyard. Let's learn a little bit. We're going to have to sort of go into war mode, warfare against bunnies, just like warfare against deer. And anytime you have an enemy, it's always good to know a little bit about them. If you're on a high school football team, then you know that uh, you You look at the statistics from whoever you're playing that week, and you learn from what you know about them and their history, who they are. Same in real warfare. You want to know your enemy. So let's, in the garden, since we're going to have this warfare against bunnies and Bugs Bunny, uh, we want to know about them. So just know that the average rabbit may consume up to 2.2 pounds of foliage per day. Now, That doesn't seem like a whole lot, but if you think about how lightweight a blade of grass is, that's going to be a lot of grass. If you think about how lightweight a hosta is, definitely one hosta plant is not 2.2 pounds of foliage. It'll take many hosta plants (laughs) to uh, get that 2.2 pounds of foliage. So they can eat quite a lot. Now, 
like I mentioned earlier, rabbits are foragers. They usually eat grass, flowers. They do eat fruits. So, you know, carrots, rabbits do eat carrots. And if you have a pet bunny that you, you know, keep indoors or, or wherever, they will gnaw on fruits and, and vegetables and things. But really the bulk, the bulk of their diet is going to be in the grass and foliage world. Now, they do also like to gnaw on bark. So sometimes you may see some teeth marks at the base of trees or shrubs, and that could very well be rabbit damage. Now, rabbits are also crepuscular. They are not nocturnal. They are crepuscular, which is a new word for me. It basically means that they are most active at dawn and at dusk. They are not nocturnal, which means that you would sleep during the day and be awake and active at night. They may sleep some during the day. They may sleep some during, during at night, but they are most active at dawn and dusk, making them crepuscular. Now, where do they live? They tend to nest and hide out in tall weeds or grassy areas and also around junk. Bushes uh, could also be a place they find some refuge. So if you've got tall weeds and grass in many areas, that is a perfect spot for rabbits to live. Also, if you have piles of things around the landscape or on the edge of your lawn, they may hide out in those areas as well. Now, I like to say that rabbits are squatters. Rabbits, even though they like to live in tall grass uh, and around junk, uh, they are squatters, which means that they will utilize an abandoned burrow from other mammals. So if you have a mole problem, maybe vole problem, and those moles and voles have abandoned those burrows, then the rabbits tend to just pop in and use them. So we've got to use that to our advantage too. If we know we have a problem uh, with other mammals, if we find little burrows, we can fill them in, and that would be one less place that a rabbit could find to squat on. Now, how far do they move and where do they live? So young rabbits can move between two and three miles to find a suitable home. That is a long way. You know, if they're recently been born and they're going out into the world to venture, they can definitely travel quite some distance before they find somewhere to live. Now, the interesting thing about that is that some of these ranges that rabbits can live on could be two to six acres all the way to 60 acres. Now, that is a long place, long place for a rabbit uh, to live. So just because you have a problem doesn't mean that people maybe a couple of miles away don't either. They're everywhere. Oh, and Bunnies don't believe in contraceptives because they can have litters of up to 12. Folks, if you have one rabbit and she's a mama, you may be having 12-fold the problem because a litter of 12 is very possible. When we get back, more about these rabbit invaders. Hey gang, do you sometimes feel like you are riding a lonely trail while gardening, all alone with no one to join in the fun? Well, join the new Southern Garden community today and find peace of mind by sharing your experiences, whether they be poor ones or successful ones. New Southern Garden is on Facebook and Instagram, so I'd love for you to friend, follow, like, share whatever it is we're doing these days. Also, you can check out our website at NewSouthernGarden.com where you can not only find every episode of the show ever, but you can also send us a question via our contact us page. It's never fun gardening alone. So get social with the New Southern Garden family and let's grow well.
Well, gang, before the break, we were learning a bit about rabbits because if you've got a rabbit problem, you are sort of going to war with them in the landscape. Rabbits are foragers. They eat a lot of grasses. They eat a lot of plant material, a lot of foliage. They can also eat fruits, maybe some nuts. If they... If they're hungry, like we said before, they'll eat about anything. And they don't necessarily care if it's your plant that you've planted and so tenderly showed love and care to, or if it's a wild plant. Now, they tend to like most mammals, like deer and rabbits. They like our landscape plants because we're adding extra water to them. We're giving them fertilizer and nutrients so they're growing well. They're lush. They're beautiful. Where some wild plants, you know, they only get what Mother Nature gives them. They may not be as tasty. So why do they like our plants more? Because they are more cared for. It's a great, your garden is a great smorgasbord, a great buffet for any kind of mammal. And today we're talking about rabbits. We did mention before the break that rabbits can come from a litter of 12, up to 12 rabbits, maybe at a time. So with that in mind, they can quickly become a problem. They spread like rabbits, don't they? (laughs) They multiply like rabbits. Now, rabbits also tend to eat less in the winter, which is an advantage for us. Um, Sometimes they'll nibble on shrubbery and things that are still green. They may eat on bark at that time. There's not a lot of grass. Now, we don't have a lot of snow over winter in our area, but in places where there is snow and grass and other forages are covered up, they may go for things they can find, uh, like in your landscape, including bark of trees and shrubbery. And so with that in mind, since they eat less in the winter, it could go either way. You could either have less of a problem with bunnies, bunny damage in the winter, or you could have more of a problem because if you've got a lot of evergreen plants and things that are going to provide some kind of food, that may be the time when you see a lot of rabbit damage since there's not a lot uh, to eat out in the wild. Now, the last thing, which doesn't really uh, help us uh, detract these bunnies, but it is an interesting thing to know, is a to know what a group of bunnies is called, a group of rabbits. You know, if you have a group of crows, it's called a murder, murder of crows. If you have a group of deer, we call them a herd. Well, rabbits can be called a colony. A group of rabbits can be called a colony, but I think I prefer the other term, which is a fluffle. A fluffle of rabbits is a group of rabbits. So if you've got more than one rabbit in your landscape, which they do tend to be solitary, but if you do have a group of rabbits, you can call it your fluffle. Wonderful name, wonderful name. (laughs) Now, I do want to remind you of what the four tiers of integrated pest management are. Now, the four tiers of integrated pest management come from the universities, and it's a four-step way to identify what you've got uh, going on, what major issues you may have, um, and how to eradicate them, and what kind of methods you have to uh, put into place to control whatever problem you may see. The very first step in integrated pest management is to set your action thresholds. In other words, I mean, that is a university term for sure, but the threshold 
of damage is basically the amount of damage that you can handle on whatever it is you're growing before you take some kind of action or another kind of action. So in other words, you've got to determine, okay, I've got maybe one bunny here and he's just nibbling on a few things. Not a big deal. He's not destroying all of my plant material. But if you've got a fluffle of bunnies, <laughs> it's a funny word. If you've got a fluffle of bunnies, you've got to set the threshold for how much damage you can allow them to do before you put some kind of action into place. So set your action thresholds first. Now, you also want to monitor and identify pests. That would be the second step. If you know your pest is a uh, rabbit, that's good. Sometimes we confuse rabbit damage with deer damage. And controlling rabbits may be quite different than controlling deer. So identify your pest and monitor them. We're going to talk about more about monitoring bunnies in a minute. But know where they're going. Know what they're attracted to. Where they live. Are they living in your bushes and your hedgerows? Or are they out in the wild and just coming to your place for a visit and a snack? Now the third step is prevention. Prevention as uh, Benjamin Franklin said, an ounce of prevention is worth more than a pound of cure. Once the damage has been done, it may be hard to recover. So you want to prevent before you have to control, if you will, because that is the next step. Number four, the last step of this integrated pest management is to control. Control, and that could come down with, with rabbits, for instance. That may be using some fencing some physical barriers that may be using some um, repellents with other pests, you know, like aphids and beetles and bugs and things. There are some sprays that you can use to control pests. But in this case, obviously, another step of control with bunnies, as with the deer, is elimination. And that's the word we use, elimination. Now, if you're in a community, you may not be able to eliminate them. If you have a tender heart, if you have a tender heart, a loving heart. You may not be able to eliminate them. Uh, trapping is also a method of control. Uh, but those are the basic steps of controlling, uh, or rather um, managing, I should say, any kind of pest, is to set your action threshold, know what, you, what kind of damage you can handle before you've got to take another action, monitor and identify your pests, prevent them, and lastly, control them. And if we use those steps with any kind of pest, whether it's a disease, whether it's an insect, or whether it's a large two or six pound mammal or a 200 pound mammal in the case of deer, we can follow that uh, method and see some good results. Now, we're going to shift into five methods for rabbit-resistant gardening. Now, these are going to be things that we pull from that integrated pest management level. Uh, so number one is going to be monitoring and observing the rabbit pressure and the population. Those are two important things. The pressure would be how much damage are you seeing, and the population may be how big of a problem. How large of a fluffle do we have? Those are things we need to know. So there's some questions we want to ask ourselves. First of all, first of all, this comes to that identifying the problem. Is the observed damage caused by rabbits? Like I mentioned earlier, deer damage and rabbit damage can be confusing, but we've got to look up close. Because when we look up close, what we find is that uh, deer do not have but one set of teeth. They have a bottom set of teeth and no teeth on the top. So when they take a bite of your hosta, they pull 
They pull with their mouth. They don't actually bite the leaf off because they only have one set of teeth. So if you see jagged edges, rough edges on stems or on leaves, that is probably deer damage. But rabbits, just like Bugs Bunny, he has two sets of teeth. He's got tops and bottoms. He's got a top plate and a bottom plate. And when he takes a bite, he's actually cutting it off like a pair of scissors, much like when we take a bite out of a sandwich. We can see clean edges. It looks like a pruning shear pruned it. It looks like a uh, scissors cut the leaf off or cut the stem because rabbits take a bite. So make sure you know that the damage is being caused by rabbits first. Also, you want to ask yourself, how and where are they traveling? That may be helpful. They may take some of the same paths. They may just hop around aimlessly. And with that in mind, you can find maybe, are they coming into your property at a certain point? Do they have some kind of access? Like Mr. McGregor has a fence around, but there was always that break in the fence that Peter Rabbit could get through. And so do you have a break in your fence? How are they getting to your property? Also, do they bed? Do they bed in your landscape? If they're living in your landscape, that maybe makes the problem even more difficult because they're not just passing through. They are sleeping there. So when they wake up in the morning at dawn and they can eat, wonderful for them. When they go to bed at dusk, they can have a snack before they take a break or a little siesta. Also, how large is your fluffle? I've asked that before. But if you don't know how large your fluffle is, then you've got major problems. So be sure to monitor to see if you have one deer, two deer, three deer, 20 deer, sorry, rabbits. If you have 20 rabbits, that could be a major problem. Also, keep a personal record of rabbit-eaten plants and non-eaten plants. It's a good idea to record what they like, what they love, what they don't like, so that when you're planting new plants, you don't repeat some of the same mistakes. Well, when we get back, folks, we're going to talk about uh, physical barriers and keeping Peter Rabbit out of the garden. Hang on tight. Stories are Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, gang, welcome back to New Southern Garden here on your hometown radio, WRWH 93.9 FM. Very glad that you've decided to join us. If you've just turned the radio on and you're listening to the program, I've got to catch you up. Today we're talking about controlling Bugs Bunny in your landscape. Most everybody has some kind of problem with deer. Of course, you can find me at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, throughout the week. And folks who come out to shop for plants there they are always complaining about deer i would say more people complain about deer than rabbits but we've talked about deer before and rabbits can be another major problem uh, for the garden because rabbits are foragers they don't eat meat they don't eat muscle tissue they do eat foliage they do eat fruits Yes, they eat carrots, but really they eat a lot of foliage. <laughs> so if you've got a vegetable garden, you may have rabbit problems. If you have 
even an ornamental garden where you've got flowers growing, you may find rabbit problems. And so today we've been talking about uh, characteristics of rabbits. We've talked about how much they eat in a day, which could be up to 2.2 pounds of foliage. We talked about where they live and when they're most active, which of course is usually dawn and dusk because rabbits are not nocturnal. They are crepuscular. Wonderful, wonderful word. It just means they're most active at dawn and dusk. Sleeping maybe some during the day, sleeping some maybe at night, taking a break from chewing all of your wonderful garden plants. And of course, they can move many miles to find a suitable home, but they tend to be solitary animals. They don't tend to live in packs or, as we learned earlier, fluffles. A group of rabbits is called a fluffle. So we've also talked about the questions you need to be asking yourself when it comes to monitoring and observing your rabbit pressure and population. You've got to know your rabbits pretty intimately. So you know what they're eating, make lists of that, make lists of things that they don't seem to eat. Also, know if they're living in your landscape. I don't mean just passing through, but know if they're bedding down somewhere underneath shrubbery or maybe they found an old burrow from a, a mole because, again, rabbits are squatters. They don't tend to make their own burrows. They tend to borrow abandoned burrows. So with all these things in mind, we want to move into uh, some, some methods of actually preventing them from becoming a problem. And physical barriers will be that first method, if you will, because uh, physical barriers can be very important, uh, particularly around uh, maybe vegetable plots. It would be easy to fence a vegetable garden in. It may not look too attractive to fence in your nice uh, flowers that are in the front bed, but fencing is a number one way to help keep rabbits out of certain spaces. So again, fences aren't appropriate everywhere, but where they are functional and can be utilized, they are a surefire way of keeping them out. If, if you follow these certain specifications, first of all, rabbits do not have, yes, they jump, but they don't have a very tall vertical jump. So if they come across a fence that is somewhere between 24 and 36 inches high, usually they can't jump vertically into it. So it's not a very tall fence for rabbits. Now for deer, on the other hand, uh, deer have a great jumping height, so you would want a fence at least six foot. But for rabbits, 24 to 36 inches high is appropriate, and it would be highly encouraged to bury a portion of that fence underground. At least 8 to 10 inches of that fence should be buried underground for very persistent bugs bunnies. Because if a bunny wants to crawl under it, he may be able to push his way through. But if you bury it 8 to 10 inches underground, you should be in good shape. So when it comes to fencing, at least 24 to 36 inches above the ground and buried 8 to 10 inches below the ground. Now, netting is another way. And of course, netting could also be used as a kind of fencing. Um, but when it comes to netting, you can drape netting, uh, lightweight poly netting, things that are made out of some kind of plastic. There are many types that don't degrade very quickly, and so they last a long time. But you want any kind of netting or maybe chicken wire uh, for fencing to be one inch 
in diameter or smaller. Okay, so I'm talking about the size of the net. Uh, you do want to make sure the holes that are in the netting are an inch or less because there are some chicken wires and some fencing that may have holes two inches wide. Well, for smaller bunnies and maybe very persistent bunnies, they can wiggle their way through a large opening like that. So any kind of fencing or netting that is to be employed to keep rabbits away, make sure the diameter of any of the holes in your netting is one inch or smaller in diameter. Now, one other method, which is could be very helpful, is to use raised bed gardening. So raised bed gardening, we've talked about on the program before, it's a wonderful thing because it brings the plants up higher. So for you and me, it's easier because we don't have to bend over at the ground to pull weeds or to fertilize or mulch. Everything is about uh, knee-high or maybe mid-thigh-high level, and so we can easily reach our plants in raised gardening, raised bed gardening. But... Not all raised beds are going to keep rabbits away. The most important thing is to remember the height of that raised bed. 24 to 36 inches high for a raised bed will usually keep rabbits at bay. They won't be able to jump that high into your raised bed. So you've got to have a fairly tall raised bed. I mean, 24 inches and, of course, 3 foot high. That is pretty high for a raised bed. That kind of height is not necessary for plant growth. Plants only need maybe uh, 8 to 18 inches of soil. But if you've got a major problem with the deer and you don't want to do all the fencing and the netting, you could raise your beds up quite high, of course. Could still be attractive, though. And that will help to keep your uh, rabbit problem at bay. Now, there is something that may work. It does work for deer. And we call it the web of confusion. If you have, say, a group of hostas or a group of uh, low-growing plants or even a shrub that rabbits tend to like, you can drape it in this web of fishing line. Now, that's cheap enough, maybe a couple or $3 for a roll of fishing line. I have not quoted the prices lately. I know things are going up. Uh, but still, fishing line historically has been pretty cheap. And it's clear. It, usually, I would definitely encourage the clear kind uh, It's or translucent so that the rabbits can't see it very well or deer, if you're worried about deer, can't see it very well. And when they nuzzle their nose in amongst the leaves, they've got that uh, web of confusion all over their face. They have this... Um, uh, chicken wire, chicken, not chicken, fishing, fishing line that may be causing them to wonder if this is really tasty or not. And so you could try that. Now, it couldn't stay on the plants forever, but if it's something like hostas, well, of course, the hosta leaves will die back in the wintertime, and you can remove the fishing line to clean the space up. Now, the last little bit of physical barrier that you might consider to use is called a chicken wire floor. Now, this is definitely recommended when it comes to deer, and I mentioned at the beginning of the program that there's not wonderful, a lot of wonderful research about mammals in the garden because they're hard to track, they're hard to uh, observe, they're always on the move, they're hiding some of the times, they may be active when we're asleep so we can't see them, but we have found it to be pretty... Um, 
pretty helpful to use a chicken wire floor. Now, let me describe what we're talking about. If you take any size chicken wire and crumple it up into a ball and then try to smooth it out again, you're never going to get it completely flat again. You'll have these little bumps and ridges and pokes and, and, and whatnot. And if you place that crumpled up and then re spread chicken wire, spread it back out around the base of some of the plants that are getting quite a lot of damage from mammals. Once the mammal steps on that chicken wire floor, they don't know what it is. It makes them feel uneasy and they tend to turn away. So again, it uh, may not be beautiful, it may not be uh, wonderful, but it is staying flat on the floor uh, or on the ground around your plants and it's not like a physical fence in front of your plants. So this may work well around, say, petunias or pansies. Usually petunias aren't uh, eaten. Begonias are eaten a lot by deer, by the way. Um, I don't know about rabbits, but if you've got small annual plants, the chicken wire floor, if you will, just a skirt around your bedding plants may be very helpful and useful when it comes to that. So again, you can use fencing. You've got to make sure for these physical barriers that they're at least 24 to 36 inches high. Definitely fences should be buried underground 8 to 10 inches. Netting can be used. It can be draped over plants that uh, rabbits or deer tend to uh, frequent. But you've got to make sure the netting as well as fencing is one inch in diameter or smaller, meaning the size of the hole in the net needs to be an inch or smaller in diameter. Raised bed gardening is helpful with rabbits as long as it's 24 to 36 inches high. Using the fishing line draped around plants or crumpled up and re-spread chicken wire around the base of plants can also be good physical barriers uh, that may help to prevent some damage from these critters. Now again, this is just physical barriers. We're going to get into repellents in, uh, in a second, but I do want to mention that using, using some physical barriers, using some uh, repellents, using and combining certain plants in the landscape, these are things we're going to talk about, you may have to employ a variety of these tactics to really get it to work. Again, with insects, there are organic sprays and there are chemical sprays that can be used to completely eradicate the problem but when it comes to larger pests like mammals deer and rabbits included we may have to do more than one thing in order to uh, keep them at bay so with that in mind something else you can do is to use repellents repellents can become very handy but before we talk about specific repellents, I do want to mention that you may want to alternate and rotate uh, repellents. So in other words, you could use one brand of repellent today and then in a few weeks use another brand or another kind of repellent from the same brand um, the next couple of weeks. Because eventually the rabbits, as with deer, they may become accustomed to that certain repellent and if it's been used over and over and over, they just get used to it. They're accustomed to it. And so switching it up, keeping it fresh, keeping it new, keeping them on their toes is going to be important. Now, of course, at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week, we do carry Bonide products. And Bonide has a wonderful selection 
of different kinds of repellents. Now, most repellents work on one of two things. Number one, they work against the animal's sense of smell, so it smells really bad to them. Or the repellent works against their sense of taste, so it tastes really bad to them. Most of the taste things, uh, repellents, are usually some combination of capsaicin, which is a naturally occurring compound in pepper plants that taste really hot. So the first thing that I want to mention is Bonides Repels All. Repels All comes as a uh, spray. It comes as a pellet. And so you can spray it onto your leaves, spray it onto the foliage, or you can uh, spray it onto the ground if you've got some areas there, or use the uh, granule and sprinkle it around the ground. And that Repels All smells really bad to the critter. And so that one works against their sense of smell. But when we get back, I've got a few more that also work against the sense of taste. So hang on tight, and we'll be right back with more repellents to hopefully repel your rabbit fluffles. <laughs> hey gang, it's Nathan. Thanks so much for listening to the new Southern Garden Podcast. Of course, I love providing you with horticultural information to get you growing growing well. But sometimes you need more than just information. You need plants. So I'd love for you to join me at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week. But you can find more than just me, of course. <laughs> at Lanier Nursery and Gardens, you can browse through our wide selection of ornamental trees, glorious shrubs, and colorful perennials and annuals. And I want to thank all our listeners who have already made the trek to Lanier Nursery. It's been a pleasure to meet you and hear your gardening stories. We've got a wonderful crew of folks who are are just itching to help you grow your best garden ever. So check out LanierNurseryGardens.com for more information and be sure to like us on Facebook and Instagram. Now, let's get growing together. Well, gang, most of the time here on New Southern Garden... It's always wonderful to talk about plants and new things, uh, new plants, maybe old plants we've forgotten about. But today's program is sort of a, a downer, in a way, because we're talking about a major pest, major pest of plants, which is the rabbit, Bugs Bunny. And it means warfare. It means we've got to be on our toes knowing where the rabbits are, how many rabbits are around, and what kind of damage they're doing in the landscape. So yes, it is work. It is work to keep large mammals like rabbits and deer out of our landscape. So before the break, we were talking about repellents that you can use. Repels All is a wonderful product that repels most all mammals and some birds. Uh, and that comes from Bonide. Now Bonide also has a repellent that uh, doesn't necessarily smell bad like repels all does, but rather it's called Go Away Deer and Rabbit Repellent. And this product has capsaicin in it, which is very spicy and tastes bad, tastes very bad uh, to these critters. So you can use a multiple range of these products, alternating them, that would be best so that the uh, rabbit in today's case, or deer, um, is going to always have something new to surprise them. Now, there is a product called milorganite. Now, milorganite is uh, used as a fertilizer, but it smells really bad, and it smells bad to deer 
and rabbits. So melorganite comes as a pellet, like fertilizers do. You could sprinkle it around low-growing plants, which again, with rabbits, those are the plants that they're going to go after. Remember, if you see damage higher than 24 inches on the plant, it's really not a rabbit, because if it was, that would be a huge rabbit. Uh, there was a lady who was persistent that she had rabbit damage, but the, the damage was about four and five foot high. And I thought, lady, if that's really a rabbit, I would just let the plant have it because I would not want to cross paths with a five foot rabbit. <laughs> so if you find that your damage on plants is lower to the ground or they are low plants, and it is rabbit, melorganite might work well. Now, I do want to mention to you a systemic repellent. Now, this, I should say, is the only systemic repellent on the market because it's on a patent, and the University of Milwaukee developed, Milwaukee, Minnesota, the University of Minnesota developed this, and they have the rights to it, and they only let one company produce it, which is called Repel-X, and that's the product you want to look for, Repel-X. It is a granule that you sprinkle around the root system at the soil level of your plants. The plant thinks that this repellent is like fertilizer, and it can use it to grow. However, we're just tricking the plant because it's not a fertilizer, but when it gets into the system of the plant, you will have roots, stems, leaves, flowers, flower buds, everything in the plant will have this repellent in it, and it does have the capsaicin. So it's like using the go-away spray or any of the capsaicin hot pepper sprays, except it's now on the inside of the plant rather than on the outside. So it can last a lot longer between applications. As the plant grows, you'll need to give it some more of this repellent. But regardless, it's not a spray. It is a systemic, and it's the only systemic repellent on the market. That is called Repellex. Now, the, the next step of uh, trying to get rid of critters or repelling them uh, would be selecting and combining plants. I don't always, when I give talks about repelling deer or rabbits, I never start with plants that rabbits hate or rabbits love or deer love or deer hate because I don't, uh, the list of plants is not very reliable. If you look for any list of rabbit-resistant plant, well, it may be changed. It may change soon because uh, we are finding that things we didn't think deer and rabbits loved, they may be okay with now. So the idea, though, would be to, when you're selecting and combining plants, no matter what it is that you're using, reduce the use of rabbit-attractive plants. Don't use so many hostas. Don't, many, don't use so many hydrangeas. But on the reverse side, we want to increase the use of rabbit-resistant plants. So if there are some things we know rabbits don't love, let's use more of those, particularly around the edges of the property, because we want to group any rabbit-attractive plant closer to the house. It definitely works with deer. With rabbits, they can get around a little easier. But definitely areas where rabbits aren't going to be so frequent are the areas where, you know, the plants they like, we could put. And then the next thing, again, like I mentioned earlier, is we want to keep a record of the plants that rabbits like in your area or keep a record of plants that rabbits in your, lot, in your area don't like. Both of those, knowing what the rabbits in your fluffle, if you will, love and hate is going to be very beneficial. Observing their taste patterns and habits is more beneficial than searching online for a list of plants that they don't like. But when it comes to picking 
plants that rabbits don't like. Here are some characteristics of rabbit-resistant plants. Number one, you want to have plants that have strong scented leaves, maybe even unpalatable or bitter leaves, which you and I may not really know because I don't want to eat some of the plants to taste them out first. Uh, But thick leathery leaves may not be too attractive. Now, lush green leaves, on the other hand, that are very soft and full of moisture is another story. Uh, But we would also think about... uh, bristly leaves or fuzzy leaves usually they'll be away uh, stay away from those or maybe even spiny in texture now some plants that fit this category is things like lantana or cat mint anything in the mint family anything in the salvia family is definitely a go also hellebore hellebore or linton rose which we talk about a lot on this program because we love it it's a great shadier plant um You could use that in your shade area instead of hostas if you have deer or rabbit problems. Uh, They have thick leathery leaves and also there's a a taste to them that's a bit, I don't want to call it poisonous, but they're not going to like it. Now, the last little thing that I want to mention is frightening them. Frightening them is another tactic to repelling critters like this. First of all, the use of a be- of man's best friend, like a domesticated dog, is useful, but it's not always pro- uh, always uh, uh, always able to have a dog outside. Uh, using man's worst best friend or worst enemy, a domesticated cat, which we have two cats in our property. I don't hate them. I like cats. I like dogs too. But regardless, the cats can help to keep them away. Now, radios, some kind of noise is helpful, but remember, if you use a noise making device like a radio you'd have to move it around the yard uh, so that they don't get used to it or accustomed to that noise now also what i like to use in place of a radio are you know after halloween uh you go to the pharmacy or any major retailer and they sell those spooky things that are motion activated that make some kind of noise so a motion sensing noise maker is very helpful because once they cross the path of that motion sensor it lets off a terrible screech and then last you could use irrigation scare tactics. There's the scarecrow, which is a motion-activated um, device that turns an irrigation head on for a few seconds, and it scares them. So with all that being said, I think that if you employ one or two or three or many of these tactics, you can help to reduce the amount of rabbit damage in your landscape. So using some kind of repellent is good, but knowing where they are, when they are, is important using physical barriers, and using scare tactics. And of course, not planting so many plants they love too far away from the house is another thing. I just want to say, if you don't think you can do it, uh, just try it. Because Eden Rose thinks give it a go. that if you give it a go, you can keep those rabbits away. Well, for WRWH 93.9 FM and New Southern Garden, I'm Nathan Wilson, hoping you stay well and grow well. See you next week. Thanks for joining us for this edition of Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show. If you have a comment about today's program, you can reach out to Nathan by sending an email to grow at LanierNurseryGardens.com. Also get more information at NewSouthernGarden.com. Join us next Saturday on Local News Radio 93.9 FM and AM 1350 for Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show.